welcome to Unbroken. I'm Alexandra Amore. I'm an author, a coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including letting go of unwanted habits. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Greg Suki, welcome to Unbroken. Thank you, Alexander. Good to be here. It's really nice to see you again. Um, so why don't you tell us a bit about your background and how you found the three principles? Basically, I ended up finding myself in uh, in recovery for uh, alcohol and other addiction issues back in 2012. And through that whole process of just seeking answers <laughs> that didn't seem to be, you know, very easily accessible at the time, uh, I ended up ended up uh, finding a group at uh, a church that I was checking out at the time, a unity chapel that, you know, does unity is more of an open-minded metaphysical kind of church. And, you know, so it kind of drew my attention and I'm checking things out and they, they had this new meeting and said, it just said three principles, didn't even explain what it was. I'm like, ah, I kind of felt drawn to it and, and uh, showed up in this wonderful couple, Bob and Marty, that just came a lot of the, the webinars and whatnot. They, they just took me in and, and Bob, especially just, he pulled me aside and just like dumped all this information on me about how the three principles apply to addiction and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking this is way too simple. <laughs> there has to be more to it. You know, where, where are the steps? Where's the, the requirements of how to do this and stuff? You know, it, it, it was just so foreign to me, the idea that like, maybe I'm already okay. Mm. Yeah. You know, that, that was such a foreign idea because, you know, in 12 step programs, it's all about you're diseased. You're always going to be sick. You'll always be fighting this. Mm. Yeah. So this was, you know, at first it wasn't much of a relief just because I was thinking, you know, this is BS. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, can't be that easy. It's simple, you know, <clears throat> but in, in a very short amount of time, it really started just sinking in of like, Oh yeah, a lot of the stuff I've experienced at times like, you know, when things were going well and I wasn't really reaching out to escape. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, what, what's, what's that about? You know, why is it if, if I'm truly addicted to this thing and it's this like disease and something that I will always have to fight, then why is it there are times I don't have to fight it? And it's not because I, wanted to not fight it. it it would just happen naturally mm -hmm. you know it just just like you know when you're driving and maybe you're a little frustrated or running late or something but you you come out of some trees and suddenly there's this gorgeous sunset and everything just falls away you know you just return to that place that 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 place of well-being that we all have mm -hmm. and it, it was just the the three principles really help put I kind of kind of just helped put words to what I already felt, what I already kind of knew inside, but didn't know that I knew, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Like it was, it was there. Just how do I, how do I put this into words? Right. And you had been in the 12 step community for a little while before this meeting, right? Yeah. Uh, close to four years at that point. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so the, the whole time I was feeling like, there was something more. There was something else that was kind of missing from that puzzle. You know, there was a couple of pieces that somebody had left down at some point. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, the last time we spoke, you did you you had sort of a mystical experience like while you were in the 12 step program, but before you found the three principles. Is that right? Yeah, I did. It was, it was about, actually exactly five months into recovery. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, I'd gone to a meeting for Thanksgiving Day. It was just a gratitude meeting. And it was, you know, 200 some people in a school gymnasium and everybody got 30 seconds to say what they were grateful for. And then mm. it moved on to the next person. And by, you know, I mean, it lasted about an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half of just all this 
all these beautiful feelings and this wonderful sharing and just, you know, the, the, the energy that gratitude brings is so intense and so incredible. Mm. And when we, when we ended the meeting and all joined hands to say our prayer, as soon as I touched the people next to me, I wasn't there in physical form anymore. I saw the energy behind life. Mm. I saw the way that everything was one. And that it's just, it's the same energy kind of presenting itself at different vibrations, mm. whether it be you or the chair you're sitting in or the air around us. You know, you, even that is energy moving. We, we forget that fish don't think they're in water until they're out of water. Mm-hmm. We don't realize that air is fluid. It is a fluid, you know, scientifically speaking too. It is actually a fluid. So we are fish in water. Mm-hmm. And it's just this energy flow around everything. And it, it was, it was such a beautiful experience. And that, that was when my, my really deep desire to escape reality left. Mm. You know, and I, I was, I was kind of left in this place in, in the 12 step programs where it's like, I felt like I was okay now. Like, I don't, I don't feel like. I have a disease. I don't feel like there's any more fight to it, you know, but that answer wasn't coming from the rooms of, you know, the tall step programs that I was checking out. It wasn't just AA. I tried a bunch of them thinking Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe this one will have more of an answer. Maybe that one, Mm -hmm. you know, but anytime you're coming from, from the misunderstanding of, of having a disease, you can't possibly point somebody in the right direction of being well. There's always just going to be another technique, another step to work, another, you know, one more thing to keep doing, to keep doing, just to keep from getting high or drunk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And after that experience, I just didn't feel like that was there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't have the words for it. I didn't have any way to express it, except that I just knew that things had changed. I knew that I could never be the same. It's not that, you know, like once you, once you kind of wake up, you can, you can always go back to sleep some, but you never totally forget. There's never a total dream state after that. There's always that slight part of you that's now the observer. Mm-hmm. And we'll always see that, you know, even if I'm, I'm still going through some of the paces of like my old habits or something there's still going to be a part of me that's looking at those habits going, wait a minute, that's not me. That's just something I'm experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's a symptom of something deeper. And that's really what addiction habits are. They're symptoms showing. It's like our internal GPS system telling us we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing. We're, we're heading in the wrong direction mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And it's manifesting physically as this habit or as this addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And just for my own curiosity. So after you had that experience, were you searching for people to talk to about that? Like, was there anybody you could share that with? What was that like? Because, and I guess I'm asking because sometimes when I've heard people say, they have an experience like that, then it can be quite lonely afterwards. I definitely experienced that loneliness. Yeah. Because, uh, it, you know, I spent about another three years in the rooms of AA, you know, after having that experience. Mm-hmm. And I, at first I tried talking to a bunch of people that, you know, I'd already met there and, and felt comfortable with talking about, you know, that kind of thing with, and kind of the the over the the general response that I would get was along the lines of I don't know what happened to you, but it's probably dangerous and going to get you killed <laughs> because I felt like it wasn't a disease, it wasn't a problem anymore. Yeah, you know that doesn't fit into a program that is built entirely around a disease model, mm-hmm. which was not what Bill Wilson talked about at all. Mm-hmm. You know, if you actually, you know, anybody's read the big book. He specifically says in there that the, the problem of the alcoholic is not in the alcohol. It's in the mind. Mm-hmm. That's right in there, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it's, that's the truth. 
And Bill Wilson, I really would have loved to have met him. Mm. And, I, and I have a feeling the reason why <clears throat> uh, AA was so effective in the beginning was simply because anytime you are in the presence of somebody who is awake, not woke, not this new woke culture, whatever, <laughs> but actually awake, aware, mm-hmm. you automatically feel better just being in their presence. Hmm. you benefit from that energy just because you know it's it's the whole idea when we heal ourselves we heal everyone around us too so if you have this healed being walking around exuding healing energy you're bound to heal if you're open so you know those first hundred men and women they were very open to it and at that time it wasn't looked at as, oh, you've got an addiction issue. I'm so sorry. Let's give you some help. It was, no, you are a moral leper. You are a horrible person and you should just get your stuff together. You know, you should get your act together. It was very different back then. So these people were desperate. That's why they're meeting in houses kind of in secret mm. to start out. Right. But you find it's like, it's like as that fellowship grew and as the program grew, you had less people having direct contact with Bill Wilson and therefore not necessarily getting the initial benefit of being in that energy field. Although it does travel distance, you know, energy does travel, but it's, it's not like Bill Wilson was necessarily aware of that and sitting down and intentionally sending out energy to, you know, all the alcoholics in Spain and all the alcoholics, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that just wasn't, it wasn't something that was, that was something he was aware of at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just from uh, my own research and reading his letters and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it. so as, as the fellowship grew, you've got less people having direct contact with Bill Wilson. So now they're relying specifically on the 12 steps, which, by the way, is the only suggested thing in that book. Mm. You know, then that kind of became the thing. And Bill Wilson was not all about the steps. He initially created them just to have some kind of framework to try to get, you know, help people to have that experience that he had. But Bill Wilson was really big on what he called healthy experimentation. Mm. He wanted people to try other ways of recovering because he knew that one of two things would happen. Either they'd fail and end up coming back to the 12 steps or AA or whatever anyway, and coming back to the fellowship or they'd succeed and AA should adopt their principles. That's directly from Bill and I am paraphrasing, but that's from Bill Wilson himself. He's talking about this healthy experimentation and that, that really got me looking. I tried running a couple of three principles based AA meetings and it, <laughs> <laughs> at least being in Akron, Ohio, where it was all started. That's not, there's no open-mindedness around that kind of thing right. here. Right. Um, so, but it was an interesting experience. It was a fun couple of years trying to <laughs> just, just trying to be, you know, just trying to be there with it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and as I understand it, Bill W had a, had a spiritual experience himself and then sort of tried to, reverse engineer what had happened to him uh, to help other people. Right. Is that with that? Yeah. Yeah. And he even, even experimented with psychedelics Mm. trying to duplicate that experience so he could give it to other people because he was, he was that passionate about helping others have that experience, Mm -hmm. not realizing that each person has to have their own experience. Yeah. Yeah, you know, nobody's going to have his experience of it, you know, and and I I do have some experience with with psychedelics, and I feel like in when they're used in the right settings and you know with the right uh, guidance, they're very helpful and very useful for uncovering subconscious patterns. Because mm-hmm. that's really a, a lot of what psychedelics are accomplishing for us is that they're breaking down that barrier between the conscious and the subconscious mind for that period of time. Mm. And that's why, you know, you hear people saying, oh, they had a bad trip. It's like, no, you didn't have a bad trip. It's just something from your past showed up that you didn't want to deal with. 
So that's why I say it should be done in the right setting and, you know, with the right guidance and everything to help people work through those things that may come up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, Bill, Bill Wilson did a lot of experimentation, a lot of trying different ways to help people wake up mm-hmm. and see the truth. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have the the verbiage that Sid used to kind of simplify how to talk about it. But he, right. he did his best to to talk about it anyway, whatever mm-hmm. way it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it makes me wonder. I mean, one thing about AA is that it's, and I talked about this on a previous episode with Christian McNeil, is that it's, it's really known worldwide now. It really spread very um, quickly, really. And, and, I, and there's something about the, just the the 12 steps themselves, the fact that that's like a framework or an outline and somebody who's suffering can get their head around that. And, you know, if you just do these 12 things, then everything will be better. Um, whereas the three principles approach, you know, is different than that. We're pointing in a direction. There isn't really that kind of framework or guideline and it is really an exploration at least that's been my experience and and i just want i don't have a question for you at all but i'm just now wondering out loud if that's why um the principles haven't spread the way that something like aa has absolutely yeah because people in general like the idea of being diagnosed with something yeah. Because then it's not their fault. Mm. They don't have to take responsibility for it. They can say, oh, it's just my bipolar disorder. Oh, it's just my manic depressive disorder. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. Then when those things come up, instead of having to look at it and deal with it and work through it, they can push it aside again. It's it's no different than using a drug. Because mm. there is no such thing as actual mental illness. Right. There's we get off track, you know, and yeah, in, in AA, they have, you know, the 12 steps to get somewhere. Whereas in the three principles, we're saying if you stop doing all the stuff that's taking you away from it, you just naturally return there. Mm-hmm. And that's a difficult concept to grasp if you haven't experienced it in, in some sort of way in your life that you can recognize. Mm-hmm. So it makes it intellectually and egoically very difficult. Because it's too simple. Like I said, when I first met Bob and Marty and Bob, I mean, it was like 20 minutes and he dumped 20 years of, <laughs> of, of three principles on me, you know? Yeah. And, it, and I'm sitting there, my brain's going, this is too simple. Yeah. Where are the steps? There should yeah. be 112 main points in this thing. What's the, you know, yeah. where, where do we get to that part? Like this, okay, he's getting me in the door, but then he's going to sell me some package, right? Like there's something else I have to do. It's like, no, you just have to be. And a big part of the reason why 12-step programs work when they work is simply because people are trading addictions. They're trading habits. They're going from getting drunk and high to going to meetings mm-hmm. and working the steps over and over again. Mm-hmm. I, I must have worked through the steps more than a dozen times in the almost four years that I was in there. Wow. <laughs> Thinking yeah. I'd done it wrong. I must have done it wrong the other time, you know? <laughs> Because oh, that was kind of what you were told, too. It was like, if you hadn't found your peace of mind yet, it's because you didn't work the steps thoroughly enough. Okay, yeah. And, you know, I'm sitting down each time, and I'm trying to go through my inventory, and, and like, it got to a point where the the last sponsor I had, and I, I told him afterward, he laughed. He, he thought it was funny. He's like, I had to make stuff up to put in my, <laughs> to put on my list. Yeah. Because at that point, I I worked through all that stuff. I'm like, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. The, the reason why I don't feel peace in my heart has nothing to do with what I feel I've done wrong in the past or people have done wrong to me. It is just simply a misunderstanding of where peace comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I love uh, Joe Bailey's book, The Serenity Principle. You know, he that was... That was the first three principles book I read because it was the only one on addiction at the time, you know, yeah, and Amy, yeah. Amy Neal or Amy, Amy, uh, Amy Johnson's book, the little book of big change was huge too, but that was, that was after. 
but I'm, I'm reading through there and, and one line really stuck out to me. And, he, and Joe said, serenity is our natural state of being when we stop doing the things that take us away from it. Mm. And I just, I dropped the book right then. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, it just made sense. It just felt right. It was like, oh, that explains why you get lost in a sunset and you're, you're no longer worried about anything. Mm-hmm. You're just in that present moment, just enjoying what is. Mm-hmm. And that's what all the sages throughout time have been telling us is to be present, to be here now. But society tells us to worry about the future. You have to plan for every catastrophe that could come. You have to plan for this magical thing called retirement that nobody ever seems to really actually reach. Some people stop working and usually die shortly after. (laughs) But it's like nobody ever seems to actually just retire for the most part. And it's like we, we, we go through life with all these societal standards and beliefs given to us. And we just go with it because that's what everyone else is doing. So it must be correct, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the war on drugs is going to end drugs, isn't it? It hasn't yet. Yeah. Right? I mean, no matter how much money they put into it, no matter how many people they throw in prison, it hasn't changed anything. Because the mindset is still there. People are still worried about the future. People are still not present now. hmm and that really is the key. And that's that's what Sid was really talking about, is just being with what is rather than being with what appears to be. Mm-hmm. The illusion is pretty convincing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It really, it really can be. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's those are the times, but that's like in every major faith. That's when they talk about having faith, to trust in those moments. It's easy. When you're having a great time and you're sitting around friends, it's it's easy to be in a good space. But when you're already running late for work and you not only got one flat tire, now you have two. And you only have one spare. What do you do then? You know, what, what do you do when life really tests your belief, when life really tests your faith? That's when it really actually matters. We should be practicing the other times, just understanding how things work. When I say practice, I don't mean like a doing. There's just a, a noticing, mm. an observing. That's that's really what the practice is of the three principles or, or really any, honestly, any any major philosophy that's ever come along throughout human history has always pointed back to that same thing. But just like Bill Wilson and the 12 Steps and, and the whole fellowship, you've got Jesus came along and had his message, regardless of how you believe he came to be, whatever. I I feel like he was a human being just like us who woke up and saw something and tried to share it. And then you look at the fellowship that grew from that and how far off track the message has gotten. Mm. And now it's all about judgment and all this like negative stuff and stress. It's that's really what it's creating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And yes, they feel relief from that stress when they go to church and they hear the, the preacher preaching or, or, you know, they're listening to Christian music and they hear a good message in the song and it reminds them of that particular path. But what about in between? What about when your job disappears? Are you going to remember who your true employer is? Or are you going to fall for the illusion that this company was your employer? No, the universe is our employer. God is our employer. Mm-hmm. Whatever word you want to use for that mind, whatever it's, we are all connected to this energy. Mm-hmm. And there's abundance for all of us. And I've really experimented with it quite a bit. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to, uh, uh, I started concentrating on pennies quite a few years ago. Okay. Because pennies are easy. There's no like negative attachment to it. There's nothing like I will never find a penny. Mm-hmm. If you start out with a million dollars, you've got something in the back of your mind saying, I'm not going to get a million dollars. So there's no firm belief in that. But I know I'm going to find a penny, right? Mm-hmm. 
And at first I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. It's a penny on the sidewalk. It's a penny in the parking lot. It's no big deal. But then pennies started showing up like in my laundry and I don't put change in my pockets. Mm. So there's no way for pennies to be getting into the laundry. And it wasn't pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters. It was pennies. And I actually set a reminder to my phone. It went off three times a day and all it said was pennies. <laughs> and it was just simply just to get my mind back on pennies. <clears throat> and things started showing up. And then I graduated after I did that for a few weeks and really just saw like, okay, this is me doing this. This is me attracting this. The, mm. the pennies are already there. But I'm just opening myself up to accepting. And then I moved on to coffee. Three cups of coffee started showing up all over the place. Really? Wow. You know, I'm not up to the million dollars yet, but <laughs> <laughs> there's still something in there that's saying, you know, it's not going to happen. But that's the beauty of this whole process. None of us has to be perfect. And honestly, if you talk to somebody who's kind of who's kind of presenting that to you as if they've got this, walk away. <laughs> Just just walk away, you know, find somebody who who's willing to admit that they're still human too, because it, it's no different than, you know, we all have some sort of basic understanding of gravity, but mm. we still trip and fall. Sometimes we still drop things and break them. Understanding how gravity works doesn't mean we're outside of the laws of gravity. Mm -hmm. So understanding that we live in this illusion and this projected reality doesn't stop us from falling for that illusion. Because we still sometimes believe that our eyes are working like cameras, but they're actually working like projectors. Mm -hmm. All of our beliefs and ideals are being projected onto the things that we're seeing around us. So we're not seeing anything for what it truly is. We're just seeing it for what we believe it is. Mm -hmm. And that's evident. Everywhere you go, in every circumstance, every situation, if you've got a hundred people at the same event, you'll have a hundred different stories of what happened. Yeah. You know, how do you explain that? Did the event change for each person? No. It was the exact same event, but each of those people went in with their own preconceived ideas, their own illusion, their own belief system. And guess what? They found things that matched their belief system. And if I believe I'm always going to be poor and addicted and struggle through life, then guess what? I'm always going to be poor and addicted and struggle through life. Mm -hmm. But the moment that belief changes, my life will change to match. That's the key. We keep running around. I, I watch it in society, you know, school shootings and who's peeing in which bathroom and who wants to be called he, she, it, they, whatever. I love everyone. I'm not, there's no, like, you do you, <laughs> you know, like it's cool. We're all here to do what we want to do, <laughs> but it's like, we get so caught up in, in those things and putting out the little fires that the embers that are popping up everywhere. Meanwhile, we're ignoring the big bonfire in the middle that's throwing all those embers. And if we would just put that fire out, all those embers would stop. So if we could, you know, get together and build a society where people feel valued and appreciated. All of that stuff would go away. Mm -hmm. If you take away guns, guess what? Someone's going to get really good with knives and show up in a school and probably kill even more people with knives. Mm. Then are you going to ban knives? You ban knives, they start building bombs or, we, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing. You can go out and get fertilizer and stuff and make bombs and take down entire buildings. Mm -hmm. The problem is not what appears to be <laughs> the problem. Mm -hmm. It's a much deeper seated issue, mm -hmm. which is that we've created a worldwide society of separation. Mm. We, we took on the Darwinian theory of competition rather than cooperation. And that's where society really went wrong, was going with that competition mindset. There's so much abundance. It's just being hoarded by a few people because of that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. 
versus if if at that point in history we'd all decided, you know what, no, we're going to go with this cooperative society. <clears throat> we're going to continue because that's how things were. There was a transition period in between, but you look at <clears throat> like like native cultures to any any native area, not even just North America, but any of the native cultures, those tribes work together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, there were some spats between tribes, but for the most part, the tribes would cooperate, too. You know, and if 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 one, you know, if something happened and, you know, there was something happened and one tribe lost all their food, a neighboring tribe would help them out. You know, so there was this cooperation built in. But when the kind of like European Westerner mindset started spreading. By the way, the Native Americans had a term for it called Wetico, W-E-T-I-C-O, and they they said it was the most contagious mental illness that existed, Mm. and it caused greed and aggression and separation with people, and it did spread. (laughs) That's how we are where we are now, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the unfortunate thing is that, you know, the, the Western world ended up with a lot of technology fairly quickly. At one point, you know, just started really moving forward with with that. And yes, it makes life easier in some ways. So I could understand why the rest of the world would look at it and be like, oh, we need to be more like America. You know, we, we want the American way of life. But now we look decades later, where did that lead us? Mm. A failing economy, you know, that the whole competition mindset with it is always going to end in failure. Always. Because the universe is abundance. And anything we do to act outside of that is just going to cause us problems. Mm-hmm. And until we all get together and look at cooperation as being how things naturally are, not just a way we need to be, but like we already are cooperative components in this thing. We just need to stop believing we're not that's it Mm -hmm. that's that's why the three principles haven't spread Mm. in in a big part is just simply because there's nothing to do and it's very hard to believe that all i have to do is just you know stop hitting myself with the hammer and the pain will go away (laughs) right (laughs) it's it's really that simple Mm -hmm. but it's hard to see when you've been hitting yourself with the hammer for 30 40 50 years yeah and the whole time you've been told, oh, no, you're bipolar. That, that hammer is not your fault. It makes it very difficult to switch that mindset. It is not impossible at all mm-hmm. by any means. I've seen some pretty miraculous turnarounds with people who, quite honestly, a lot of people thought were like way beyond hope. Mm-hmm. Like they're just gone. But then in an instant, they just see something differently. Mm-hmm. You know, like even look at Sid, how, how, for, you know, for at least from, from what I've gathered from <clears throat> his writings and, and, you know, when he talked about it, he wasn't a happy person before he discovered the principles. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty miserable person, like, like many people living nowadays. Yeah. But in an instant, he saw things differently. And he didn't do anything to make it happen. It was just in that moment, he became willing to drop what was in exchange for what is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I want to circle back to something you said a little earlier about, and it was about where habits come from uh, or addictions. And you touched on the fact that there, I, I'm going to paraphrase what you said, but like a spiritual sign that we're headed in the wrong direction. Can you say a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, that's so. Uh, this is all like my gathering, my experience, my, you know, my take on it. <clears throat> um, but I see it as. It, 
so like we were just talking about, we're in this society where there's separation and there's competition and, and we go by, you know, the Darwinian theory of survival of the fittest, which he stole from somebody else. And it was originally elimination of the weakest, mm. which is a very different concept than survival of the fittest. Because elimination of the weakest, you still have cooperation. You can still help the weakest. But when it's survival of the fittest, it's, no, I need to be the best. Otherwise, I'm gone. So there's a big difference between those two mindsets. You know, so we live in this society of if I'm not the best, then I'm gone. So how many of us are the best? It can only be one or two percent, right? I mean, that's kind of just the way numbers work. So that means the rest of us are junk. We're not necessarily directly told that, but if we're not the wealthiest one or two percent in the world, we know where we stand, <laughs> you know. So people live with this and it's a subconscious thing. We're not walking around thinking, oh, I'm a horrible person because I didn't make $10 million last year, but it's there. It's there. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And even as, as young children, we have those kinds of thoughts, and especially getting into our teenage years when our brains are developing a little more and we're, we're becoming more sentient beings within society. We start to feel really out of place. A lot of us. There's discomfort, there's feelings we don't like, there's uh, ways that we're treated by other people that we really don't care for. And for many of us, you know, we reach out for that drink, that drug, that cookie, that cake, that sex, whatever. And we get that moment of relief. There's this subconscious thing that happens. Our, our brains are really incredible machines. What we consciously focus on turns into subconscious thought patterns. And that's really all addiction is. Right there is a conscious focusing becoming a subconscious pattern. And that sounds like it's like the scary thing that's out of our control or whatever, but it's absolutely 100% within our control. So let's say I'm, you know, 13, 14 years old and I'm sneaking my first drinks. I think I was like 12. But <laughs> so I drank three beers my first time. Guess what? When you're 12, you don't need three beers. I was gone. I mean, I was really drunk, but I felt great. As bad as I felt from the alcohol, I felt amazing because of the relief from my thinking. Mm-hmm. Because I was no longer worried about what people thought of me, even though now I'm acting a fool. <laughs> and definitely people are thinking about me at that point. You know, chances are before they weren't. But it, it created something subconsciously where my brain says, okay, anytime I feel the way I don't like to feel, this is something that helps me feel better. It doesn't matter what that thing is. Whatever your habit is, whatever your addiction is, it doesn't matter. It's just something that at some point helped you out. And this is actually, it's the exact same thing for what we call mental illness, too. Where there's a coping mechanism that was useful at some point in time. And it became a habit. And then we continue using it after the situation is gone. Mm. So it's no different. It's it's. A thought pattern. It's a subconscious thought pattern. And it, the, the approach that society generally takes on that is that you need to attack that pattern. And it goes back to like I was talking about earlier, stopping on the embers rather than putting out the fire. Mm -hmm. So you should go to a 12 step program. Okay. Well, I put down the drink or the drug, but now I have to go to these meetings in order to feel okay and for a lot of people it doesn't really work because quite honestly most of the meetings are, are pretty boring and it's a lot of people complaining so you know that's why a lot of people are in and out in and out in and out of, of the 12-step programs because it, it, it's it's not it's not an addiction that appeals to them the other one's much more effective mm-hmm 
And that's kind of a key thing when looking at healing addiction and mental illness is that you cannot directly heal that symptom. You have to put out the fire. You have to stop the bonfire that's throwing those embers out in the first place. Otherwise, you'll spend your whole life running around stomping on them and never get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you'll wonder why, man, I haven't had a drink in 20 years, but I still want to put a bullet in my head. Mm-hmm. And I saw that in AA. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of the people who've been in for a long time were kind of miserable. Mm-hmm. They, they could speak well at meetings and and you have these, you know, great messages, but it's like, you'd see them outside of a meeting. You could just tell it's like, they're not happy. Mm-hmm. They're not living their, their true full potential. Mm-hmm. So the, the key and the reason, you know, like I said earlier, one of the reasons why like a 12 step program works is that since we can't get rid of the habit directly, what we have to do is replace it with a new one. That's the main key is establishing a new habit in its place. Nature abhors a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So you can't just, you know, I'm not going to shop anymore. I'm mm-hmm. done. That's it. It might work for a few days. You get there on willpower for a while. You certainly can. But if you haven't replaced it with something else to fill that void, it's going to come right back. You know, and, and another thing to remember is I, I, and science has proven this, and uh, Amy Johnson actually talked about it in, in her book, the, the neuroscience behind it. When you use a neuropathway over and over again, it actually becomes larger, and it becomes easier for for information to travel on. Mm-hmm. So when I, 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 I liken that to, because you know, I do like to be outside, so like trails through the woods. A well-traveled trail is clear. Mm-hmm. You're not going through the briars and, and the thicket and all that kind of stuff. It's just clear traveling. But what happens if you decide you don't want to travel that one anymore and you want to start a new trail? Well, it's guess harder. what? It's not clear. It's much harder at first because now you've got these down trees to clear out. You've got the thicket to get through. You've got obstacles in your way in order to establish this new path. But once you do and continue using it over and over again, the other one overgrows, right? Just like in the woods, it's the same thing is happening in our brains. The more we use the new habit, the more the the old one just starts fading away. But in between, we have this wonderful thing that we've decided to label as relapse. Mm. And all that really is, is you're on your new path. And now you come up on this fallen tree that's 40 feet high and a thousand feet in every direction. And it just looks so insurpassable that right in that moment, that old path that's still kind of open looks pretty good, doesn't it? It doesn't mean the new path is gone. It doesn't mean we're always going to use the old path. That's where that was one of the things I didn't really like about the 12 step programs is the shame that is put on somebody who relapses mm-hmm. rather than saying, Oh, cool. Did you learn from it? Awesome. Let's just move forward. Mm-hmm. It's this shameful thing. And you have to, you know, at least around here. And I think it's a fairly common thing, but like you'd have to reintroduce yourself at meetings. Even if you had, you know, 15 years and went out and had one drink, now suddenly you have zero days mm-hmm. and it is such a blow and it's not true. It, is, it, it means that you've got 15 years of establishing that new trail. So what if you stepped on the old one for a little while, as long as you get back on the new one, it doesn't matter. It's not an indicator of anything. It is simply an old path that's easier to follow. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's nothing more to it. Get back to it. Eventually, you'll chop through that 40-foot-tall log that's laying in your way. And that's the, the, you know, some of the stuff that comes up that people don't like to deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was talking earlier with psychedelics, when people say they have a bad trip, 
It's like, no, that was just one of your subconscious things that came up and became conscious, which is beautiful because when it's conscious, you can deal with it. When it's subconscious, we're not aware of it and it's just happening automatically. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of the subconscious mind. But it's totally within our control to program that subconscious mind. And that's really what this all comes down to is our own programming. And I, I had, in fact, a couple of years ago, I had this really incredible experience of becoming nothing. Mm. Right. I literally had to drop everything in my life because I suddenly wasn't sure what was real. Wow. And I had to question everything. And I'm not just, I'm not really talking about like the physical world because I know that's not actually real. I already knew that. But as far as like, what beliefs am I holding that aren't mine? Mm. You know, what was given to me by my parents, my friends, my teachers, an old boss, uh, you know, whatever. What am I carrying that isn't serving me, that isn't mine? And a lot of those answers came really clear just simply by trapping everything and seeing what came back. What was, what was going to stick? What was actually going to come around? And every time one of those things would come back, I would look at it and observe it and question it. Is this mine? And I literally stopped in the middle of my day when I had a thought and I'll stop and I'll be like, is that really mine? And the, the funny thing is when you actually stop and genuinely ask yourself, you just know. And it was helpful for me um, quite a few years ago. I was told to start recording myself when things like that happened and just talk to myself about it this is what's going on this is what i'm feeling and then listen to it with you know with earbuds in or something so you you know you really get the full sound of your own voice and you can call yourself out on your bs so easily that way it's just like when you hear somebody else say something and you're like like that just doesn't seem right when you hear yourself saying it you just kind of know mm. whether or not you decide to keep moving forward and, and facing it is another thing, but you know, <laughs> that's the important thing mm-hmm. because that means it's no longer completely subconscious. It's no longer outside of our awareness circle. Mm-hmm. Now I'm aware of it. Even if it's the tiniest bit, that's all it takes. Just that little leak. That little, that little hole in the, in the illusion where I can see through and I can peek through and be like, wait a minute, there's something else there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's another way of looking at this. Yeah. Yeah. I had a very similar experience when I left a cult I was in in the early 2000s. And very similar, just taking every belief that we had. And, you know, I describe it like having a house made of bricks and pulling down every brick. And deciding, is this a brick? Did you know, did I come up with this or was I indoctrinated to believe this? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, it was a very valuable exercise for sure. Well, we're we're all cart we're, we're part of the biggest cult in history called <laughs> you call it society. Yeah. <laughs> that's very that's the biggest cult that you know that's ever existed. Yeah. Um so it is important for I believe for people to stop and question those things. Mm-hmm. You know, not not to the point where you know you're driving yourself crazy with it, but just to just genuinely stop and consider: Am I really upset about this because it's something that upsets me, or am I being a Karen, for lack of a better term at this point in time? But I think everybody kind of understands what you know. <laughs> What that means, it's like, am I just following the newest trend of things we're supposed to be upset about? Mm-hmm. Am, am I getting on the bandwagon of who's peeing in which bathroom, which you don't hear about anymore, right? It was the biggest thing, like, you know, big corporations are changing their policies around their bathrooms and stuff. And it was this huge thing. And then suddenly it was gone because there was another thing to focus on. And there will always be another thing to focus on if we don't put out the fire. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be another ember, another flame starting somewhere. 
Yeah, so we, we just run around in this big cult going, everything's fine as long as we just make sure people are peeing in the right bathrooms. And we, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, it's it's kind of, you know, and some people get upset with me because I do view things differently, but I see it as humorous. Mm-hmm. Because in, in all reality, none of that matters. Mm-hmm. I really don't see the problem of somebody going into whichever bathroom they feel comfortable in. They're not harming anybody else. And that's one, uh, it's just, just an example. It's not, you know, it's like everybody should be allowed to find their own path in life. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be allowed to explore what their interests are. Not follow in, you know, oh, my dad was a lawyer, so I have to be a lawyer. My dad went to this school to be a lawyer, so I have to go to that school to be a lawyer. And I was like, how much does that happen? And, you know, with with me growing up, it was put in my head that you had to go to college. But I really didn't want to. I hated school. I didn't like the way they taught, and I still don't. It's too cookie cutter. And it's like, I don't learn that way. I, I would rather learn other ways. It may be an unofficial avenue that I'm taking to learn this thing. But, you know, and that's another thing is we put too much emphasis on these certifications and stuff that people have. Well, who was the first doctor that came up with what it would require to become a doctor? Who certified them? Are we questioning this? No. We're not questioning it. We just go with it and be like, well, they're certified as a doctor. But how? Who decided that that's what makes somebody a doctor? And who decided that, you know, this, this woman who grows, you know, 500 different herbs in her garden and comes up with tinctures that cure all, all kinds of stuff for her friends. She's not a doctor. She's healing more people than these doctors. But she's not official, so she can't be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things we should be questioning. Is this really true? Well, this but has yeah, been like, this has been really nice, Greg. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I, we're running out of time, so I just wanted to ask if um, do you have a website or anywhere where people people can find out more about you and your work? Uh, best way honestly at this point is just through facebook facebook okay yeah if yeah. they just look me up on facebook um my email is is uh greg suki at gmail.com i keep things simple so i mean okay if anybody wants to get a hold of me if they're not on facebook it's g-r-e-g-s-u-c-h-y at gmail.com perfect and would love to hear from people Great. i'm always happy to connect <laughs> I know you are, and I really appreciate you being here to let people know a little bit about you and uh, the things that are important to you. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Alexander. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you'd like to connect, go to alexandraamore.com forward slash connect. I'll see you next time.